long story, we were a bit late on this whole stockpiling malarkey a few weeks ago. And um, I went to do our weekly shopping one evening in the midst of it and only uh, found that all the shelves were pretty much totally empty. I'll admit I did panic a little bit and I bought en masse um, the one of the few things I could find in abundance, which was honey. And at first, yeah, at first I was very sure that I needed more and more. So I filled up my shopping trolley. I was so happy. Oh, runny honey in my porridge. Runny honey. Feel free to join in. I, I don't runny know what you're singing other in than my runny honey. <laughs> honey. Do you not like ABBA? Oh, I've is let... this ABBA you're singing? Yeah. God, I've right. still got so much left. Even though I'm trying my best. I just don't know what to do. I feel like Winnie the Pooh. There's a couple more verses. Oh, hey. <laughs> runny honey in my curry. Oh, tastes a bit funny. Runny honey with onion chutney. Very yucky. <laughs> this is what I do when I'm looking after kids. It tasted oh so nice. But now I've paid the price. Don't put it on the pies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're getting there, Sam. <laughs> I was actually going to go for, I'm feeling constantly sick because I'm pre-diabetic. But now's where it gets a bit silly. Don't you worry. Runny honey to wipe my bummy. Ooh, ah, rather slimy. Ooh, 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 ooh. Runny honey to ease my thrushy. Ooh, ah, slightly horny. Oh, it's pulled in my underwear. When I fart, it goes everywhere. I'm being followed around by bees. Can you stop this, please? And I've got two more verses. I quite like these ones. Donate uh, honey to the nunnery. Aha, uh-huh. honey nunnies. <laughs> Flushing honey down Aussie toilets. Aha, uh-huh. honey dunnies. Oh, that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. Surely, surely, traditionally, the honey would come from the nunnery. Oh, yes, well, quite possibly. And as good-looking nuns in the nunnery... The nunny honeys, as opposed to the honey the nunnies. Nunny, the nunny honeys... Yeah, the nunny honeys making honey at the honey nunnery. <laughs> <laughs> On a serious note, I was very depressing last week, and so I'm making a concerted effort to do lots of silly accents this week. Excellent, good. There's nothing There's nothing like overcompensation. <laughs> yeah, this is the point at which our comedy calf flips over massively. Having skidded on a tiny patch of dry ice last week, you're wanging the steering wheel and we're flying off the cliff of absurdity. <laughs> two two wrongs don't belts. make a right, do they? <laughs> no. Oh, well. Um, the Fishtailing podcast will continue. <laughs> Violently fishtailing. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which Tom... Hello. And Sam. Hello. Hello. Discuss topics... Oh, no, on I'm a... not Sam. Sorry. You're not Sam. Well, that was a very good impression of me, by your usual standards. Hello, my name's Sam. I like podcasts. Now, you probably don't realise, but that's what you sound like. You're more like, hello, my name's Tom. I like wanking. <laughs> The small town in Somerset. Lovely place to go on holiday. <laughs> yeah. Wanking ho. <laughs> Lesser wanking, greater wanking. <laughs> and wanking bottom. Wanking supermare. <laughs> <laughs> uh, indeed, indeed. Ah, good. We've kept the maturity level high for this podcast. And what's our topic this week, Tom? Oh, what was the topic? Uh, 
Uh, it was what accents, was it? wasn't it? It was accents. Then we're going to have lots of silly voices. Good, your research has gone well. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of silly voices this week. Yes, yes, yes. How have you found your research? It's it's been a fairly tricky week, Sam. It's been a fairly tricky week. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I. I well, I, yeah, it was harder than I thought to research a serious answer now. Um, in fact, a very serious answer, you see. The thing with accents and dialects, and I've done a little bit of this uh, in my degree, is that they're like colours on an oil painter's palette, aren't they? There are definite oh, hello, concentrations of colour in areas, but they all mingle into each other. And they evolve, essentially, every time a word is spoken. So they're incredibly complex. We're shit at accents, and our listeners may not have noticed that, because we disguise it very well. Because we style it out. Yeah. yeah. We have no linguistic understanding of what makes a French accent French, do we? No. We just copy a lower low. Um, yes. Or various other comedy programs that we've seen in our youth badly. So it's bloody difficult to do anything on this topic that actually does justice to why accents exist. Hmm. And um, one other thing, you can read about historical people and peoples and get a great idea of what they were thinking from what they've said and what they've written down. But And you can also study artefacts and you can get an insight to their lives. But it's very difficult to understand what people spoke like, isn't it? Yes, it is. There's there's a few specialists around who speak oldie languages, but I don't know how... <laughs> yeah, exactly, how... How, I mean, how they do this or how reliable they are. Exactly. I mean, fuck knows what Julius Caesar sounded like. I mean, Dick Van Dyke, for all we know. <laughs> Roman senators stab in time. Roman senators stab in time. Don't need a reason. Don't need a rhyme. Roman stab and stab from behind. <laughs> um, step in Rubicon. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander the Great, he could have sounded like Brian Blessed. <laughs> you know these spears of ours? Let's make them bigger and longer. <laughs> couldn't he? Edward II, he could have sounded like Elvis, couldn't he? For all we know. <laughs> We're caught in a trap. There's no way out. We're all gonna die at Bannockburn, baby. There you go. <laughs> I mean, we don't know, do we? What these people spoke like. Well, you can do anything, but don't paint those Scotsmen blue. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Have it. <laughs> oh, I'm taking that to the bank. <laughs> I think that was probably the wittiest I've ever been. <laughs> I'm trying to see if I can better it now. Um, you can't. Um, <laughs> I don't think I can. I don't think I can. We're going to leave that. I'm not going to try. I was delighted <laughs> to find out that you didn't know where the RAF, the Second World War RAF posh accent came from, or... no. The stereotypical pirate accent came from, which surprised me because I think they're quite well known. So I thought you'd know. So hopefully, I'll surprise my, uh, the listeners as well. Excellent. So I've, I've, I've revealed my cards there, by the you way. You have. You've you've shown your cards. You've flashed the neighbours. I have. We all know what you're packing now. Yeah, I've shown my. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's an accent we can both imitate badly. So. Ta-da! Ta-da! <laughs> and people have been for fifty years. <laughs> Well, I think since you've, <laughs> since you've shown your hand, I think we will probably let you go first because, as you can probably tell, I'm, I'm very keen to get rid of the much vaunted yet hated tradition of flipping something to see who goes first. Yeah. So we'll let you go first this week because it's not great radio. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, well, we've been flipping some accents already and we're going to flip some more. 
Um, let's start then with pirates. Well, let's... well, I tell you what. Should we do audience feedback first before oh, we yes. let you go? Let's do some audience feedback first. Okay, in silly voices. I would in like silly you... voices. Okay, pick a voice. Okay, uh, I would like you to do an. Um... What would I do that would really wouldn't test your ethics? Indian accent. I'd like you to do an Indian accent, <laughs> Sam. Okay, well, the Indian accent I'm going to do is Raj British, Tom. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm already getting a sense of the condescension. This is lovely. <laughs> really, it's taken you 62 episodes. <laughs> 62. Crikey. Yeah. Well, when I'm 62. <laughs> uh, so, yes. When I get older, making <laughs> mince pies 40 years from now. Don't know where that's going. No, <laughs> oddly untopical. <laughs> this is a throwback to the time we tried to do number 40 as a topic for our 40th episode, but it was the 41st episode because we fucked up. <laughs> this is like that, but worse. <laughs> oh, so, um, Hannah has written to us to say, Love your podcast, guys. Always guaranteed a good laugh. Thanks, Hannah. How Thanks, about Hannah. weddings for a topic? Weddings oh, is a good yes. topic. That is a good one. And Mango Man, good old Mango Man, has written to us again. Uh, uh, I'm going to choose another accent. Okay. Um, that wasn't that one wasn't Indian. <laughs> no, it's all right. Actually, I'll actually, I am quarter Indian, so I'm going to claim that that was that was. Yeah, I'll go and let you off. I know you don't like doing that. Um, how about <laughs> Black South African? No. <laughs> <laughs> how about okay, a 1960s cartoon cowboy? Oh, so you're kind of thinking of a. Of a what incarnation type thing? That's the one. Right, okay. So Mango Man. (laughs) Mango Man wrote to say, I can't wait to join the Order of the Bath, not a joke, and become better than everyone else. Joke. Keep it up, guys. Love you. Joke status pendant. Well, I like that sort of Mango Man. He's a good one, isn't he, Sam? He's a fine sort. We'll get a lot of feedback from that there Mango Man. And uh, yeah, well, yes, and thank you, speaking of which, to everyone who has joined us so far in the order of the uh, bathroom. Wow. Our Patreon offer. Yes, it's open. People have been joining. And the songs will be sent around shortly. I'm going to record them all before I send them out. That's a good idea, Sam, because if you tried to send them out before you'd recorded them, it would just be... Yeah, that's moment, why everyone... we work so well together, Sam. We're a dream team. <laughs> that's right. I've got the dreams, you've got the organisation. <laughs> you put things in an order. <laughs> Someone say you quash my creativity, but no. Um, no, I'm going to record all the songs so that everyone gets all three songs, to... everyone gets all their songs together. Got, so the yeah, first one is done, you. second and third ones are written, the weekend is coming, you should get them, uh, you should have got them by the time you hear this. That's our feedback for the week, I think. Okay, that's that was two, two. Oh, not the best week. Oh no, no, we had we had a message on Facebook as well, didn't we? Um, someone was someone was messaging us on Facebook about uh, staying in staying inside the Mongol horde. I'd like to do this one in Scottish. Sorry, you probably you can possibly hear some incredibly loud music behind me, and uh, that's because it's eight o'clock. It's our weekly say thank you to the NHS on a Thursday at the time of recording this, and my neighbours have picked up an enormous sound system from somewhere. I think eBay. And uh, so now we're getting uh, weekly recitals of Agadu. Agadu. Stick pineapples at the tree. I don't like you, donkey. 
cheeky little Shrek reference at the end. I can't get Facebook to open. I can't read that message. I'm sorry. Thank you for sending us a message. Right, go on then, Tom. Let's get on with uh, this show. All right. Let's get on with this show. I'm going to start oh, with Pirates. We should mention as well. Okay. <laughs> that this is, this is going to be the last episode that everyone can get hold of from this week onwards. We will be giving every other episode free to the public and our patrons will get every single episode. Yes. There we go. And it's only a very small sum of money. It's per month, isn't it? So It's per month. It's a coffee per month. It is a coffee per month. Anyway, let me start with Pirate. Are you going to trump me this time? Or like, <laughs> am I good? I'm good to go. Let me start with Pirate. Oh, yeah, I'm going to interrupt you a couple more times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two stereotypical accents, Pirates and the RAF. World War Two RAF, and it's I'm a classic gonna, crossover. It's a, exactly. I'm going to I'm going to explain the origins because the origins of both accents are connected. Um, I mm. tried to find other accents, stereotypical accents that also had their origins in the same area, but I struggled. F- we're all familiar with the stereotypical West Country pirates pirate accent and it's an accent that we associate with the pirates that were active during the age of exploration and imperial fighting in the new world particularly the spanish main these are the pirates of popular culture people don't go to pirate pies dressed as somalians vikings or bronze age sea peoples do they they go dressed as <laughs> i don't know i reckon certain conservative mps have probably gone dressed as somali pirates before <laughs> mm, canadian pms yeah you're probably <laughs> <Yes>. right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but west country pirates were by no means the majority in this period of history west country of course there would have been uh, a large number of pirates who probably were for the west country but it would have been yeah. one of a wide Big coastline lots of smuggling yeah exactly coastal but um obviously there were a wide range of accents for pirates during this period you had, you had pirates from all over Europe all over Africa all over the new world it was a, it was very mixed bunch wonderfully multicultural very exactly exactly it was a conglomeration of different people so it wasn't just that every single pirate on the seven seas was going you are uh, shiver me timbers <laughs> no only the ones who are particular fans of the Wurzels <laughs> yes yes um, I've got a brand new I've Schooner. got a brand new three regalian. I'll give you, I'll give you the plank. Because you got 40 galleons and, and I, I got 23. <laughs> um, so actually, this accent all started with the 1950 Disney classic Treasure Island, based obviously on the book by Robert Louis Stevenson. And in this film, yeah. Long John Silver is played by an English actor from the West Country called Robert Newton. And he went on to star in the 1952 film Blackbeard. And in 1954, he played Long John Silver again in a film called Long John Silver Return to Treasure Island. This time it's personal. And. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Longer, Johnnier, and more silvery. Spawned a 26 episode miniseries shot in Australia called The Adventures of Long John Silver, also starring Robert Newton. It's shot in Australia? Yeah, shot in Australia. Long Long John Silver driving around in a ute. What? It it was shot. (laughs) Drinking tinnies. (laughs) Being a little bit racist. Yeah, persecuting Aboriginal Australians. No, it was. It, no, it was obviously set in the coastal areas of Australia. Oh, so Long John Silver ripped with a six-pack surfing. Surfing in Surfers Paradise. Yeah, going yeah, to yeah. go to Lou's Cafe. Yeah, yeah. And visiting Doctor Doctor Carl. That's that a neighbour's reference. Yeah. Okay. Got you. Um, never watched it. 
Yes, they see started in this series, and apparently this was the first ever series to have been shot in Australia, and it was actually shot before TV reached Australia in 1956. That is an interesting wow. fact, isn't it? That is a very interesting fact. And presumably before 1956, the Australians were just having far too much fun stealing, getting lost, eating each other, and persecuting Aborigines. <laughs> yes, occasionally being shipwrecked. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Australian listeners. You know we love you. And then the old uh, talky walkie boxy roo came along. <laughs> <laughs> we had one of those up in Dillawonga Bonga Longa. <laughs> yeah. Three day journey there, three day journey back. Absolutely worth it to watch Coronation Street. In though. my old uh, Holden SUV. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Robert Newton exaggerated his West Country accent in all of these roles and he was very popular with lots of young boys because of the films he starred in. So a whole generation of men grew up with the silly pirate accent, essentially our parents, our fathers. And the majority of pirate actors since 1950 have basically impersonated Newton. They haven't tried to impersonate a pirate. Even Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean... Um, is a variation on this theme, albeit he's, he's a bit more unique. But Johnny Depp is doing a grammatically questionable English accent, which is yes. <laughs> pretty much the same. Like all Americans, Tom, like all Americans. <laughs> nice, nice dig. Good work. <laughs> um, incidentally, in 1986, there was a series called Return to Treasure Island. And guess who played Long John Silver in this, Sam? Ooh, was it someone I'll know? Oh, absolutely. Someone you'll know and love. Not me, though. I, I was only one years old. <laughs> was it... Uh, is it someone from the West Country? Uh, someone that can be heard in the West Country. Someone that can be heard in the West Country? Yeah, when they're um, having a quiet chat with someone at the top of Everest. Oh, yar! Shiver me timber! It's Brian Blessed! <laughs> Yeah, so Brian Blessed played it in 1986. It actually looks quite good. I watched a trailer on YouTube for this ah. series. It does actually look quite good. Quite hook-like, sort of comic pirates. Newton actually died in 1956, so really not very long after he played these roles. He'd lived a very hard life and died of a heart attack after years of chronic alcoholism um, and a chaotic personal life involving four wives and bankruptcy and all sorts. Sounds pretty piratey to me. Yeah, he was very piratey. Yarr. And yeah, so basically when you hear that accent, you're basically hearing you're hearing this guy. You're hearing Newton. And ah. have a look at it. You go on YouTube and um, watch some clips of him. And yeah, it's, it's a fairly well-known fact, that one, I think. I like that. I, I enjoyed that. I learned. Uh, right. Telly hair and chocks way for the stereotypical RAF accent, Sam. R-R-A-F R-A-F accent Yes Oh, I see This pilot appears to be slightly stereotypically Chinese Am I not Yes, I was educated in China But I'm desperately trying to fit in This is massively insensitive But it's true So I'm going to tell the story briefly Because it's funny There is a car made by Mitsubishi Called the Mitsubishi Starion and the, sp- the car was supposed to be called the Mitsubishi Stallion, but due to a pronunciation <laughs> error. <laughs> Ooh. See what oh, this is going. We yeah. ended up with the Mitsubishi Stallion, and that is a true story. That's a Mitsubishi Stallion. <laughs> okay, so now. So when I messaged you earlier on in the week and asked you if you knew why RAF pilots from the Battle of Britain spoke in posh accents. You said because they're all posh was essentially your answer. Well, you haven't been watching enough QI, Sam. 
Ah. It turns out that this is another Hollywood invention, and I'd heard this dad fact a few different <sighs> times, including, I think, from my dad. And when I researched it, it has been discussed on QI also. So the RAF pilots during the Second World War were actually surprisingly middle class compared to the other armed forces. George Orwell, the famously socialist and famously critical of other socialists, socialists, dis- <laughs> like all good socialists, Tom. You're not a real socialist until you hate other socialists. <laughs> Is that right? He, 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 everyone's equal, but I'm better than you. <laughs> well, I think, and I think it was George Orwell who first wrote that. Um, <laughs> everyone's born was, equal, yes. just some more equal than others. <laughs> so yes, he, he, he hated British socialists, didn't he? Anyway. He discussed the political consequences of Britain being defended by such a middle-class group of men in his essay, The Lion and the Unicorn, Socialism and the English Genius. Here's a quote from it. The heirs of Nelson and of Cromwell are not in the House of Lords. They are in the fields and the streets, in the factories and the armed forces, in the four-ale bar and the suburban back garden. And at present, they are still kept under by a generation of ghosts. And he refers to that in the contexts uh, of the Battle of Britain. Churchill himself, who famously said that, quote, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few, again, when referring to the Battle of Britain, um, very mu- he very much recognised how many middle-class pilots had, how middle-class the pilots had been. He observed that relatively few men from Britain's private schools flew fighters. In fact, of, around, of the around 3,000 pilots, only around 200 had attended elite private schools. In fact, around 574, and that sounds like a very specific number, but that's the number I picked it up, is. it's probably, <laughs> I'm sure there's a little bit of leeway there, weren't even British. There were around 140 Poles, 130 Kiwis, uh, about 110 Canadians, about 90 Czech What's it? What's the? What do you call them? Czechs, Czechoslovakians? Well, actually, Czech. There would be Czechoslovakians then. There'd be Czechs now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think you could probably say Czechs back then and, and not get in trouble. And then there were a whole host of other nationalities as well. Uh, when Churchill heard in late August 1941 that the Battle of Britain had been won, he said, referring to the state-schooled pilots, "They have saved this country. They have the right to rule it." So why are the RAF pilots thought of as posh? Well, it's because they were usually played by posh actors in the aftermath of the war in in movies. Or, so the theory goes, Sam, because I must admit, this didn't seem to be the case in my research. I started researching the main actors, the stars of Battle of Britain films in the 40s, 50s and 60s, and I'll have to admit that the majority of them seemed to have very middle-class upbringings too. The only exception I could find was David Niven, who was a star of the 1946 film A Matter of, a Matter of Life and Death, which actually looks like a quite good film. I think I may have seen that in my youth. Went to a private school and would have probably gone to Eton had he not been expelled from um, a private school for being a prankster. <laughs> so I've not... That, that's, that's the explanation that's usually given. Posh actors in the aftermath of the war. But again, it, it didn't seem to... I didn't seem to be able to find any evidence of that. What I suspect is that potentially all of these English actors had been taught to speak received pronunciation so they'd been taught to speak because that was what was expected at the time wasn't it it sounded like the BBC exactly BBC news so I I suspect that's the explanation it wasn't that they were really posh but they were talking posh English they were talking received pronunciation English speaking of QI facts Flipping it around, the British did try in World War II to have regional newsreaders, so newsreaders from Yorkshire reading the Yorkshire News, and, uh, and no one trusted them, so they had to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all by it, a bit miserable out there today. 
Christ almighty, those journeys look like boogery up in sky right now. I'd stay indoors if I were you. Of course, everyone goes running out into the streets going up north. I'm not going to be told what to do by some daft twat. And now over to old Geoffrey for t- weather. Yeah, for weather and cricket. Miserable. <laughs> Probably going to rain. There's bastard cats and dogs outside. Stay fucking side if I were you. The bloody cauliflowers aren't going to do very well in this weather. <laughs> no, brassicas are ruined. <laughs> I even went looking at um, famous American World War Two films, like The Longest Day, starring many famous <laughs> actors, including John Wayne, who plays stubborn good old American Lieutenant Colonel Benjamin H. Vandervoort, who insists on playing his part in the Normandy landings behind enemy lines, despite having five broken limbs, three eyes poked out, and being partially decapitated. Have you seen that film? <laughs> yes, I have, yeah. <laughs> John Wayne's character is fucking annoying. <laughs> being partially decapitated, Tom, just meant that he could see around corners better with none of the three eyes that he had left. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they took, it's called, the film's called The Longest Day. It's, it's quite a good film, but it is the longest bloody film. It's, it's, it's right. yeah. It is a very good film. I mean, it's a cracking film. But yes, um, it's it's got some excellent. I mean, it must have cost a lot. The cast is massive. The cast yeah. is like a who's who, a who's it's who. It's even got short an early a young Sean Connery, hasn't it? As one of the. Did you just spoonerize Sean Connery to short and curlies? <laughs> <laughs> Pubes, Miss Money Bennett. Pubes. <laughs> Did you interesting facts about Sean Connery? Did you know he was a bodybuilder in his early days? Oh, was he? Yeah. I thought he was a milkman. Am I getting? Hmm. Could have been doing both, Sam. <laughs> he could have been banging out the bicep curls with the milk bottles, doing some sled pushes with the float up the street. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, it see, it seems that we're both right. <laughs> he clearly, he clearly got high off his own supply. Took that yeah, protein yeah. calcium to the max. If the funny thing is, he doesn't actually look particularly stacked though. No, but no one did back in the day. No, did well, they? some of the American ones did. They were into all this isometric malarkey. Um, who's the famous one that um, coined the phrase "kicking sand"? Oh, back in the 50s. Charles Atlas. Yeah, that's the one. Charles Atlas. That's it. It was only in the sixties that people got a hold of steroids, anyway, wasn't it? So sixties yeah, suddenly they started yeah, they getting didn't... a bit bigger. <laughs> yeah, just overnight, oddly. They got a lot larger. And weirdly... Got a lot larger, about the same time as uh, as Olympic records started to fall. Yeah. <laughs> like fucking dominoes. <laughs> Interesting, if you compare the dimensions of Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime relative to someone like Ronnie Coleman, uh, for people who aren't here, most of our listeners, if you compare it to famous 90s and noughties bodybuilders... The modern bodybuilders are huge, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was on steroids, just yes. a tiny amount in compared to what modern bodybuilders are guzzling. But the bodybuilders of the nineties didn't—they're not living till they're fifty. Oh, they're awful. Look at W. Uh, look at WWF wrestlers from the eighties. Mm. So many of them died in their forties. But then I think steroid abuse now is more understood. So I think they're doing it in inverted commas more safely. Although obviously. <laughs> It's a, it's a spectrum. Probably doing it not at all is probably the healthiest thing you could do. I'd say, I'd say probably yes. <laughs> don't do drugs. Don't do drugs, kids. Um, yes. Yeah, so where was I? Yes. Yeah, so that's it. I just wanted to make that nice reference to to John Wayne's uh, stupid character in The Longest Day. <laughs> probably, possibly one of the stupidest stupidest characters in Hollywood. 
It's a bold claim, Tom. So the accent then, why has anyone has anyone ever tried to undo that? Do you think with the with the accents in film, particularly the RAF one? I think I, I don't think I've ever seen one where the the pilots aren't posh. I'll be honest with you, it's, it was a difficult one. I say that I I started res- I only was able to do a very small amount of research into how posh these actors were in these films. Um, obviously, to do it justice, you'd have to watch like ten films. I can't say in the past I've watched many. 1940s, 50s, or 60s RAF films. So I don't. Fair enough. I don't know, but I, I suspect that stereotype hasn't held on for so long. Certainly, you watch something like Dunkirk, and um, the, yeah, it's disappeared, isn't it? There, people aren't putting on posh English accents and twiddling, twiddling their no, moustaches. That, that's true. Harry Styles in Dunkirk doesn't sound too posh. No, no. Harry Styles. Yeah. Isn't he part of the band One Direction? He is part of One Direction. He is also uh, the pilot in Dunkirk. Is he really? Yeah, I think he was his first big movie role. Oh, blow me down. He's an actor, is yeah. he? Oh, well, he is now, apparently. I like to say apparently. He was actually pretty good in it. Well, I never. Um, so I don't know about that one, but I think the pirate one is is much more ingrained in pirate culture, isn't it? Yeah, I guess the pirate one makes a lot of sense, though, doesn't it? Because, you know, you've got the the Cornish Devon smugglers and seafarers and that's where that kind of whole running from the customs man thing comes from so piracy makes a natural evolution from that I guess I was thinking about so the pirate films I have seen obviously Pirates of the Caribbean I've seen a few of those Hook I was I sort of had to think about and in Hook although I haven't seen it for a long time the majority of the pirates I think are your stereotypical are are what were plank pirates but the pirate play so Smee is played by is it played by Bob Hoskins? I think it is actually. Um, yeah. He doesn't have a stereotypical accent. And Hook played by uh, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, yeah, um, doesn't put on that accent either. So um, yeah, I don't know. I I think the pirate one. Of course, there have been people. I mean, Dustin Hoffman would probably have probably went and hung out with pirates for three years method acting in the run-up to that film didn't he <laughs> just the, only the Somali ones though. yeah hasn't he got a reputation as being hard to work with Dustin Hoffman I do not know yeah I think he's a bit of a method actor and he's a bit tough to work with not from personal experience I haven't ever starred alongside him <laughs> no but he's welcome to come on this podcast if he wants to yeah absolutely I'd happily invite Dustin Hoffman on yeah it's a yeah it's a very generous of us isn't it give a platform yeah <laughs> let him say his piece defend himself Robin Williams as well he's he can, he's happy to come on if he likes um, and the other star <laughs> of Hook you don't know what to do with that do you Sam uh, no <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll do a seance there's an elephant in this room and I don't know what it is <laughs> I know Robin Williams is dead right over to you Sam <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, the uh, the invitation stands. <laughs> oh, I definitely have Robin Williams on the show. Yeah, I think it's probably more likely that we'll get Robin Williams than Dustin Hoffman, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and now we're going to learn the origins of some rude words, Tom. Excellent. Today I'm going to talk to you about. Well, I've ch- I've cheated slightly because I've gone for a dialect rather than an accent. Okay. Because I'm going to talk to you about a whole language, a whole dialect, which started with puppets travelled through navies and ended up in London's West End. 
and it survived all the way from the 17th century to the 1980s. Started as a started in puppets, went through the navy, ended up in the West yep. End. Yeah, Helen Mirren, <laughs> Dame Judi Dench. <laughs> Well, I'm sure they've been all the way through the Navy. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> he was definitely... <laughs> <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> this is method acting for Hook. Oh, how many more national treasures can we ruin? <coughs> In what is clearly, their lawyers, a joke. Apart from Kevin Spacey. I think that's Apart well established. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> Going back a few episodes, I'm now imagining Kevin, Sp- Kevin Spacey dressed up as Cher uh, parading around a naval ship in a, mu- oh. in a music video. Anyway, <laughs> today I'm going to be talking about Polari, which of course is the you secret- are. Of course, I the am. The star. Which can you put as Polaris? But we're close oh, okay, enough. Okay. Also, a nuclear missile. Was it? Yes, I think it was, wasn't it? Or the nuclear submarines. No, Polari is the secret language of gay culture in Britain. Well, is it going to be secret anymore after you've uh, revealed all in this episode? Well, I'm not ruining the surprise. <laughs> the, the secret language of gays in Britain? Yeah, the secret language of gay culture So we really weren't far off with Kevin Spacey, were we? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I left I left that because I thought, you can come back to that later. <laughs> That could be the episode arc. Yeah. If only he'd have played a pirate, old Kevin Spacey. <laughs> As opposed to just playing with pirates? No, that didn't work. Shivering their timbers? Indeed. Walking their planks. Rodgering their cabin boys. Indeed. <laughs> Seamening their stains. <laughs> no. Nope. Neither of those work, do they? Unless people know... No. Nope. Cut their mouth. Baiting their bastards. <laughs> No, no, the urban myth of the urban myth of Captain Pugwash, <laughs> yeah, raising the masts, yes. <laughs> firing the big gun, sending a warning shot over the bows. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I started off today. It was really interesting. I started off looking at pigeons, Tom, and pigeon English. Ah, oh, yes, which is like languages that evolve out of a need to do business, which. It's a funny thing because you say, you say, for example, and actually, well, I should say that pigeon started off as a Chinese word, a South Chinese word for business. And so pigeon English is business English. And it's a language that's spoken in huge parts of the world. It's one of the most widely spoken languages in the world is a, a mangling of, of English and another language. Mm. But pigeon English started off pretty much with the tea trade and you can kind of see where they come from because you have someone who wants to buy something, someone who wants to sell something. They have a different language. How do they communicate? Well, they agree on a few words and what those words mean. So, for example, you're a Brit, you've come from Europe and you want to trade silver for tea or you want to trade opium for tea or you want to trade threats of death for tea <laughs> with the Chinese. And you can very quickly build a basic language out of that which gets the message over I of want I want this. Tea. <laughs> I like tea. <laughs> Nothing worse than an angry Englishman who hasn't had a cup of tea. No. <laughs> and and this is really important if you want to do international trade and if you want to build an understanding with someone because you don't want to end up, Tom, with another case of the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Yeah, I've read, I saw this in my research. <laughs> which yeah. translates in Mayan as, I don't understand you. <laughs> <laughs> that's cracking, isn't it? That's such a good, that's good, such a good fact. <laughs> it is. Brilliant fact. And from pidgin languages, these kind of mangled languages, pretty quickly evolved languages called creoles. 
And Creole is a relatively well-known language in, in southern parts of the US, but it also exists in parts of the Caribbean and the West Indies. And they are full languages with full grammar systems which evolve really quickly out of these pigeons. So from no understanding at all, you can have a brand new language in sometimes less than 50 years. Oh. As people realise that this is a this, these new words are worth learning because there's profit in them, so they teach them to their kids. Their kids converse in them, and suddenly you've got a, you've got a whole language, which is it's beautiful and very very interesting. But I wanted to do something a bit silly and very unlike a bit more you. of a dialect than a new language. I know. <laughs> so I started looking at completely the opposite, something called a cant or an argot, which evolve in exactly the same way as pigeons and creoles, but they're the complete opposite. They are developed to deliberately stop outsiders understanding what's going on in a group. Yeah. They are designed to stop communication between groups. So Cockney rhyming slang, for example, is a cant. It's, Which is uh, interesting because a lot of Cockneys are... <laughs> are absolute cants. <laughs> <laughs> Was that one of your jokes that I've just pinned? Was that in your notes? I, it was in the back of my head, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Cockney rhyming slang is a, a dialect deliberately designed to keep outsiders outside, especially if they happen to be representing the law or the government, and you happen to be running an illegal distillery with your worry and strife up the apples and pears, isn't it, geezer? Yeah. Your worry and strife, your wife up the stairs. Yeah, if you happen to be running an illegal distillery upstairs with your wife. There you go. And then I got reminded of something a friend in theatre once told me. And working in theatre... <laughs> Get being out, a certain I'm trying age, to practice! Tom, <laughs> he, he is, of course, a homosexual. And he told me that back in the day, there was an entire secret language used by the gay community, among others, and the theatre community, because homosexuality and theatre go very well together, <laughs> called Polari. And it is fascinating, Tom. Why is it called Polari? Well, Polari is Italian for speaking, to parlay. Okay. To parlare. And... This story begins with Italians, Tom, and more specifically with Punch and Judy. Famously gay. Famous, absolutely, yes. Well, Punch gets his big baton out and loves a sausage. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not particularly keen on his wife. <laughs> um, so, for those who don't know, I don't know how popular it That's is outside of it. Europe. That's Punch the way you do it. it. <laughs> so, Punch and Judy is a, a British and actually French, very popular in France, holiday classic. It's a shitty puppet show, usually performed in tiny pop-up stalls on the beach, in which a very naughty man, who's swallowed a kazoo, <laughs> commits serious aggravated assault on his wife and several police officers in the name of stealing some sausages whilst escaping from crocodiles. Uh, it's as stupid as it sounds. There's a lot of dick jokes and occasional political satire. And whenever he beats someone up, usually with a baton, he shouts, That's the way to do it! I was going to leave that oh, one sorry, you, but... sorry. There's a Coldplay music video, isn't there, that has Punch and Judy. In which, in which Chris Martin steals some sausages and twats a copper. <laughs> <laughs> I only thought of it because I watched it yesterday. Um, yeah, there's a Coldplay video, Life in Technicolor, which is based oh. on... I, just, I didn't know whether that would maybe people would... American listeners might know Coldplay more than they know... Punch and Judy. Oh. <laughs> Cut that out. Oh, that's a, that's a segue. <laughs> so the show originated with Italian showmen who started touring Europe in the 17th century. And specifically, Tom, the first recorded Punch and Judy show in Britain was in May 1662. And how do we know about it, Tom? One of your favourites here. Oh, how do we know about Punch and Judy in six... Oh, it would have been... Um... 
Uh, the diary, Samuel Pepys. It was indeed Samuel Pepys who wrote about the first ever known Punch and Judy show in Britain. Would that have been a Pepys show? <laughs> Very good. Not sure if it is. <laughs> Judy showing you a punch. <laughs> Yes. And uh, so being attracted to uh, travelling fairs and shows and occasionally having to run away from whoever they'd just stolen food or cash off of to survive, (laughs) these travelling Italian actors communicated largely in slang Italian, knowing that they couldn't be understood. So if they're talking about where they were going to sleep that night, where they were storing the cash, they would do it in Italian so that people couldn't overhear them and rob them. Also that they could rob people in safety. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, Polari, as we said, is a bastardisation of the word parlay to speak. Likewise, the common Polari words vada, which means to see, and bona, for good, are originally Italian words. And it's from the word bona, Tom, that we get the word bona. (laughs) How did that evolve? So, at first, bona means good, or meant good. And as it became more of a slang for the gay community, or more of a, a language for the gay community, it meant simply then something that was nice to look at. Right. <laughs> Which evolved into erections, a good-looking erection. You have a very fitting hard-on. Oh, look at that. What a bone a cock you have. <laughs> well, it's similar to the word uh, bonnie. The word bonnie comes from the same, uh, the same Italian-Latin bona, meaning good. So, (laughs) what a lovely bonny dick he's got, Richard. (laughs) Yes, dick. Charming dick. Funny, because we had Dick Richard in one of our other episodes, didn't we? (laughs) We did. We had Dick Richard, yeah. Richard Richards. (laughs) Top bloke, Dick Richards. And over time, these puppeteers decided that life would be a lot better in the big cities where they could find fame and fortune. And so they went from travelling Punch and Judy shows in the arse end of nowhere to the increasingly popular and professional <laughs> stages of London and the West End. Are you laughing because I said arse end? Oh, I just used a funny sentence. A bunch <laughs> of Judy shows in the arse end of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, Royston Vasey. <laughs> yeah. um, so yes, they, they gave up Punch and Judy and went to the West End. Now, theatre, Tom. Theatre, darling. It's a funny old business. Oh, there's no business like show business, you see, Tom. Oh, boy. Oh, Tommy Phillips once told me that. <laughs> He's a wonderful Hamlet. He is wonderful. No other. His Cleo camping Emmanuel and Dick would make a sergeant major weep, dear boy. Oh, the theatre. Incidentally, Tom, I've got no idea what Cleo camping Emmanuel and Dick is, but I googled famous theatrical monologues and picked <laughs> the funniest. Oh, is that right? I, I thought they were Polari terms. <laughs> no, they're not. No, it's just <laughs> no, it's just something I googled. I thought you'd just ask someone to pull your ears. <laughs> yes, Cleo camping Emmanuel and Dick. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a famous four novel I haven't read. <laughs> John Paul, Ringo, and <laughs> the other one. Uh, yeah. And one thing that uh, that you, I, and probably everyone knows about theatre, Tom, is it's full of weirdos and outcasts. Yeah, Fionn. Um, carry on. <laughs> Fionn's friend, who was fucking weird. Uh, yeah, which one? Oh, you know the one. <laughs> we used to live with actors. <laughs> Most of them were lovely. One of them was lovely, but fucking weird. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I got really, really, I, well, I really, really offended one of my ex's new friends once. So my ex started work in a cafe and uh, brought, a, brought a friend home from work one day for dinner who was an absolutely horrible woman, an unemployed actress. <laughs> and uh, I was having none of it and a little bit drunk. 
and over dinner she was talking about her acting and talking about her acting and talking about her acting again and I asked her in which restaurant she was currently acting <laughs> she got really offended never came round again did you storm out? was it that good? <laughs> <laughs> Did you throw a bottle after her? Don't come back. Something like that. I imagine I there are what... areas of London that are like that, aren't there? LA's like that, isn't it? LA's full of unemployed actors. Oh yeah. Well, this was um, where was she living? She was living in Clapham, which is peak unemployed actor. Clapham and Ballam. That right. Peak unemployed actor territory. Yeah, completely. Anyway, uh, so acting is a dirty profession, isn't it? It's halfway between the kind of the seedy underworld and the kind of the grim backstage. And, uh, and dark alleyways behind theatres and a glittering nobility in the boxes, you know, the royal box yeah. and top hats and monocles. And it's always, as a career, been pretty accepting of people who don't have anywhere else to go, particularly historically, uh, in Britain at least, people like uh, Gypsy and Romany communities, uh, for example, Charlie Chaplin. A lot of Jewish uh, theatre workers and actors back in the day and a lot of homosexuals and prostitutes. A lot of female actors weren't very well paid they got a lot of attention from men. There was a lot of sex work going on in the theatre. And so this language began to evolve between people who lived a life that was, in the shadows, very dirty, often cavorting around with wrong-uns and getting into all sorts of scrapes to make ends meet, and having to present yourselves as very high-class thespians, able to hobnob with uh, the great and the <laughs> good. Um, <laughs> hobnob. Nob. <laughs> And Polari began to evolve as a language all of its own, mashing together all of its various parts, which allowed the people who spoke it to live very normal lives but secretly communicate with one another. And loads of the words which they began to use, we still use today. Words like butch for masculine people. Uh. Bevy for a drink is Polari. If you're talking about your nose, you might say your schnoz. That's a Polari really? word. Uh, yeah, kazi as a word for toilet. Or naff. And we talk about things being naff all the time for disinteresting, boring, which originally translates from either a northern word for blockheaded or thick, or I quite like this alternative one, Tom. It's an acronym for straight men, which means not available for fucking. <laughs> not available for fucking. Therefore, being a little bit disinteresting. Wow. Ah. And these words were really important at a time when being homosexual could get you killed or locked up. So as time went on, gay men who didn't particularly like the idea of a career in theatre or had something to escape from quite frequently joined the Merchant Navy. It's a bit of a tired old stereotype of, you know, the camp sailors. Could have been one I could have explored, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, Kevin Spacey certainly did. Has to share. Hey. <laughs> as the chair so yeah you had a lot of these men who were outcasts who had nowhere else to go who were possibly wanted by the authorities on suspicion of being gay being homosexual back home so they joined the merchant navy for a lifestyle that was generally more accepting it was an escape you could sail the seven seas in the navy i don't know the other words in the navy uh, but you could see, and you could see other parts of the world. And Polari began to be spread through the navy, obviously, and then the rest of the British Empire, particularly the brothels of Asia. And in fact, even Tom, the word slum. You talk about slums. Slum is a Polari word meaning foreign languages. Essentially, the slums are where the non-English speakers live. Oh, this is this is good shit, Sam. Ah, so many, so much learning in this one. So much, so much learning, so much education, and yet so much silliness. Yeah, we're getting the balance right. We've got not available for fucking. We've got slums. Somewhere in the middle is a happy ground. 
available for fucking in slums? I don't know. <laughs> I'll let the audience decide where they sit. So all this time, people in the mainstream were starting to use these words and starting to use this language with no idea that they were tapping into a secret code. And as time went on, Polari grew and grew until the 1960s, by which time it was one of the most widely spoken London dialects. There were, it was estimated there were more people speaking Polari in the 1960s than there were still speaking Cockney rhyming slang. And this was, you know, this was the era of the craze and the Cockney. It was even widely spoken on the BBC, kind of unbeknownst to some at the BBC, or I suspect not all. It had its own radio <laughs> show called Round the Horn, in which the two camp actor characters, one of whom was played by Kenneth Williams, the king of the king of camp from... I was about to say, I recognise Around the Horn. That's quite a famous one, isn't it? Mm. Then I recognise the name. Very, very famous. Yeah, it had, at its peak, an audience of nine million... And the two characters, when speaking to each other on, on the air, spoke in Polari. Vast numbers, the vast majority of the people who were listening to this just thought it was some kind of funny actor code. They didn't realise that it had this whole gay subculture language and that the BBC was actually talking to gay people through this radio show under the noses of the authorities. Mm. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And to those that were listening to this and could understand it, it was, it was so valuable. It was a window onto a world that they knew existed but couldn't necessarily touch if you're you know, outside of the West End, outside of London, in, in one of the regional cities or towns or in the countryside. It lets you know that you're not alone. It was really, really valuable. Kind of lovely that it happened. And it's from the 1960s and the, the kind of the peak of Polari that we get slang phrases like uh, ACDC for bisexual. We get phrases like to mince, mincing, or to ogle. Ogling someone is, is a Polari phrase from the 1960s. Uh, slap and slapper for makeup and overly made up women, and sometimes, sometimes men. Some of these words obviously would be considered slightly offensive today, but at the time it was this code of freedom, it was this code of protection. Then suddenly it came crashing down, and what do you think caused it to crash down, Tom? I don't know. It's a silly answer. Oh, sorry, you set me up for a silly answer. It's not a hugely silly answer, the real one, but you can give a silly answer. The camel catastrophe of 1974. It was absolutely, yeah, well, very close. It was the squirrel massacre of, uh, of 72, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. The great war between the reds and the greys, yeah. <laughs> no, well, in 1967, homosexuality was decriminalised. At the same time, Round the Horn was incredibly popular and people were starting to look up and find out about what this strange dialect was. And so suddenly, within the space of weeks, days, months, you had a code which was no longer a code because people understood it and was no longer needed, really, because the action that it protected against was no longer illegal. So it pretty much died out overnight. It survived for a while in theatre and cruise ships, uh, in theatre just because theatres love tradition, and on cruise ships because it's a great excuse for the crew to talk about customers yeah. in front of them without them understanding what they're talking about. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say it's probably like, yeah, so the cruise ship staff could have a... Could have a chin wag, yeah. Talk about the annoying fat Americans that kept stuffing the whole buffet down <laughs> every morning. This buffet's supposed to feed all 30 people on this cruise ship, and fucking... A very small cruise ship with 30 people on. It was quite small people, but they're all Americans, so they all take the room up of three people. Supposed to feed every person (laughs) on this canal boat. (laughs) Rosie and Jim's cruise ships. 
<laughs> Rosie and Jim, Rosie and Jim, sailing around on a coronavirus carrying petri dish of germs and hate and disease. That's cruising. Looks <laughs> so like Rosie and Jim, Rosie and Jim, that's where you go if you want to swallow Quim. I thought you might. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Well, that took an unexpectedly dark turn. <laughs> be talking about going dogging in Brum next. <laughs> There's a very famous dogging lay-by very, very close to where I was brought up. And uh, me and some mates drove down <laughs> it on the way home from Winchester one evening at about sort of one in the morning and um, flashed our lights and then received a flashback and then wound down all the windows and just started yelling abuse. <laughs> yelling abuse and drove out the other side in a very 19-year-old way. <laughs> from memory it was fairly petty abuse as well so rather than you fucking wankers it wasn't like that it was like <laughs> put your willy away <laughs> oh, good times beautiful <laughs> wonderful well, times speaking of putting willies away Tom I'm almost done um, <laughs> just to finish off by saying that there is one place where you can still hear Polari today and that is in Fairgrounds mm. strange folk smell <laughs> <laughs> a little bit like cabbage <laughs> that classic Austin Powers <laughs> reference. Um, yeah, a less sexualised version of Polari is still used in trampling fairgrounds today. Uh, oh, and and Tom, in 2016, David Bowie's uh, Black Star album had a track in it called "Girl Loves Me," which is mostly in Polari as well. Girl loves me. How appropriate they... for David Bowie. Was it was it followed up by <laughs> "I fuck underage girl"? <laughs> but nobody questions me because I'm David Bowie. That's the B side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time anyone questioned it, David Bowie just. Look over there, it's Kevin Spacey. Yeah, but I'm David Bowie. I'm far too cool. <laughs> I'm not like Jimmy Savile, who's not cool anymore. We can hang him out to dry, <laughs> but I'm not going to be hung yes. out to dry. Me and Chuck Berry can get away with it. <laughs> because the middle classes love us, but they don't love... <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't been fucking anyone... <laughs> That we can prove. See which one of those we can still edit in once I've <laughs> yeah. Googled whether, whether the claims have been proven. I think the David Bowie one is fairly well known. Yeah, the David Bowie one's very well known, as is the Chuck Berry one. Uh, and they're both dead, so... <laughs> can't libel the dead, Tom. Them's the rules. Oh, dear. Which means we'll just... We'll have to be careful what we say about... About... For the next 50 years. For the next 200... <laughs> well, that's yeah. Any of those that I've edited out, it's just we'll bleep those out in a comedy fashion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All I'm going to do, Tom, now is just finish off with a with a little quiz. Oh, excellent! So, what do you think, Tom? These are commonly used words, relatively commonly used words, which come from Polari, and we use them today. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a meaning, and you have to give me the word. So, hassle, Tom. Hassle. The first word is hassle. And I've got to guess the meaning, or are you going to give me various meanings? No, you're going to have to guess what the word in Polari that we still use today is. So this is this is a word for something being a, a bit chaotic and a bit of a hassle. Oh, okay, and it's a Polari word. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, what a... Palava. Palava. There you Not go, Not to be Tom. mixed up with the Palova, Pavlova. Not... <laughs> yes. What a Pavlova. Yes, or indeed, uh, whatever you said the first Hello, time, like, not to be mixed uh, up with a word she, that I can't say. She was say. a Russian gymnast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Question two, Tom. This 
is a word for a football hooligan or a young person getting into kinds of trouble. Ooh, he's such a... Liverpudlian. <laughs> no, the word was Geordie. <laughs> uh, so a youngster who's getting in trouble, bit of a football hooligan. Uh, yeah, three-letter word. Kev. <laughs> Close. The word is yob. Yob, okay, yob. Yob, which is actually, it's boy backwards. Ooh. It's called back. It's what's called backslang. Backslang. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so next one, Tom. It's a word. This is fascinating. Yeah. It's a word for policeman, Tom. It's a word for policeman. Is it a pig? That's the only other thing I can slang. Close. Pork. Porky. No, it's it's not pork related. Um, it's the rosers. The rosers. Okay. Oh, that's not what I was thinking. Yeah. The rosers. Where go. does the rosers come from? I don't know. Okay. Okay. The rosers. <laughs> No idea. But there we go, Tom. There we go. The language that started off with Punch and Judy and defined gay culture in the 1960s. Fantastic. That's actually, that's very, very interesting, Sam. They're, they're, it was interesting. They're fun ones to research, aren't they, though? So I remember when I did the maritime um, phrases. Very fun to research. Yes. Sort of linguistic stuff. And you obviously had a more creative yeah. mind than me because I obviously got stuck in a bit of a research dead end. And you got a cracking <laughs> one out of it. Yeah, so not not like not massively funny, but there's a few ro- rude words in there. It's just a really interesting story, isn't it? Yeah, very good, very very good. Right, so we should probably think of a topic for next week's episode. Which, if you want to hear, you will have to go to thatwasgeniuspodcast.com and uh, subscribe to become a yeah. knight of the or companion or yeah. whatever of the order of the bathroom. One of our patron offers every other week. We are doing a patron exclusive yeah, with Dustin Hoffman. Um, with Dustin Hoffman, yeah. Um, so I think we should probably make up a subject ourselves because I don't want to take an audience suggestion, which they may be. Oh, that's, uh, that's a good thing. Actually, that's very polite. Yeah. Um, right. So we could do weddings in like two weeks' a time. Good idea. I want to delve into some Icelandic sagas again. So, oh, shall we go Scandinavian? Scandinavia. Okay. Not sure yeah, Scandinavia is a place. Good. Yes, it is. Scandinavia. No, just... Where's <laughs> fucking Scandinavians come from, oh, you absolute it, moron? You, you said it in a slightly odd way, and I heard it, and I like, that didn't make any sense. And then I thought, no, Scandinavia <laughs> is definitely a word. <laughs> Fuck me, Tom. You think Mesopotamia is, <laughs> is like Narnia? Is this where it turns out that certain parts of the world just don't register on your reality I do like scale. calling Canadians Canadians. I feel yeah, like doing that's, that. That's good. So, do you want to do Scandinavia? <laughs> or when you put it that way, Tom, how can I refuse? Scandinavia? <laughs> do you know what, for some reason, when you said Scandinavian, do you remember the kids' TV <laughs> yes. show, Dr. Zipbag's Transylvanian Pet Dr. Shop? Zipbag's <laughs> Transylvanian Scandinavian, Scandinavian Pet Shop. Scandinavian <laughs> Oh, hello. I have come in with my polar bear. I'm an elk. I'd like to buy a Scandinavian. (laughs) Particularly, I'm interested in an Eric. What Erics have you got? Well, I've got this this red Eric. (laughs) Or Eric the Red, if you like. (laughs) And and Eric the Blue. Uh, Eric the Blue's the rude one. He's the one who tells dirty jokes. He's rather violent. He keeps getting sent away from islands for murdering people. Eric the Blue, yes, tells me jokes. Eric, Eric, Eric the Blue thinks your mother-in-law is so fat. <laughs> Eric the White is a wizard. Eric the Grey drives a Volvo. And <laughs> enjoys collecting stamps. Eric the Green likes hemp sandals. <laughs> 
and telling everyone he's a vegan. <laughs> and likes to protest about the fishing of whales off the Faroe Islands. Right, Scandinavian, Scandinavian pet is shop then. it is. Yes, uh, so we hope to see at least some of you there because it's, I think it's probably going to be the lowest listenership we've had for a podcast in a while. But hey, uh, three people listened back to the good old days. Yeah. That was about so, the first uh, sixty-one so yes, episodes, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. So uh, we hope to hear or hear from some of you, see some of you. Otherwise, we'll be back in two weeks when I think we'll probably do marriage. You can get in touch with us in the meantime on Facebook, That Was Genius Podcast, on Instagram, at That Was Genius, and on Twitter, that underscore was underscore genius. And of course, check out the new website, That Was Genius Podcast.com. Yeah, it's got pictures of people putting their things up their bums. Uh, medieval manuscripts <laughs> yeah. of people putting things up their bums. And, and so much more, so much more. It's a nice bit of uh, a nice bit of David, yeah, a bit of Michelangelo's. Yeah, David. yeah, we got, we have, we got Michelangelo's, David's testes, and and so much more. We should probably say goodbye. Say goodbye, Tom. Goodbye, goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs>